So today I again begin with this challenge on this Father's Day. Fathers, grandfathers, burn your ships. Burn the plows. Run for your life and don't look back. The most important thing you will ever give your family is that you be seen in their eyes as a man of God. Amen. Let me put it another way. If I were to take your, one of your children away from you to a place somewhere where they're comfortable and comfortable to share the truth of their heart with me, and I took them somewhere and got close to them and just asked them, your children, your grandchildren, a single question, dads, a single question. And here would be the question. What's the most important thing in your dad and your granddad's life? What would they say? How would they answer me? There's only one, one answer that would be life-changing to them. And the generations that follow them is that the most important thing is their faith in God. That's it. So no matter what you're giving them or providing for them, the most important thing you will ever give them is they look into you and see, my dad is a man of God. And that's where we're going today. This idea that in the Bible, it refers to Elisha as a man of God. That's, the Bible gives him that name. Last Sunday, we talked about Elijah. He was also referred to in the Bible as a man of God. And how he passes this cloak of responsibility to Elisha. And last Sunday, I gave this illustration that, about looking back. And Elisha is the opposite of Lot's wife. Lot's wife had this, there was a lure about Sodom. Sodom's a picture of sin, the world, it's enticing. And there's this thing about us that wants us to look back at the world. When God calls us to come out, we want to look back at the world. Elisha didn't look back. He burned his plows and said, nope, we're, we're going on this great adventure. He became a man of God. The book of 2 Kings begins with some of the supernatural events of this man of God named Elisha. We're going to talk about that today, and next week will be part two, Lord willing. I specifically use the title man of God for Elisha because very few people carried that title in the Bible. Moses, Elijah, they carried that title. So did Elisha seek after the title man of God? Did, did he apply for that job? Did he say, Somebody call me man of God. No, that's not how it works. God appointed Elisha to succeed or to replace the man of God named Elijah. Elisha didn't ask for this cloak or this mantle of God to be placed around his neck, but we read the Bible, he wore it well. He did wear it well, but he didn't ask for it. Second Kings announces the events that follow Elijah being taken up into heaven and Elisha being left alone to carry this title, 
man of God. So the one who everybody looked to, Elijah, has been raptured. He's been taken off of the earth. He doesn't experience death. And his replacement, Elisha, now is by himself. What's going to happen now that Elijah's gone? What happens next to this cloak-bearing, called-out man of God? Here we go. 2 Kings 2.19. Elijah has just been raptured. Here's what follows. One day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord, they told him. This town is located in the pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt into the spring. And he said, this is what the Lord says. He didn't say, this is what Elisha says. That's how he's a man of God. This is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since. Just as Elisha said. Now, this man of God can fix your water supply. That's impressive. This man of God can make your land productive. That's impressive. This man of God uses salt in the spring to counteract death and infertility. That's impressive. You would want this man of God in your town, right? Just this much is all you know about it. You'd want this guy to come live in your town, hang out with you, right? Maybe not everyone. Did I mention that Elisha was bald? He didn't have any hair on his head. You might think, well, what difference does that make? Well, I wouldn't bring it up if I were you. <laughs> Verse 23. Elisha left Jericho. He's made their water pure, right? Elisha left Jericho and went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys from the town began mocking and making fun of Elisha. Go away, Baldy. Ooh, that hurt. Go away, Baldy, they claimed. Go away, Baldy. Elisha turned around and looked at them, and he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. Now, let's just summarize what this man of God does. This man of God can call bears and they answer him. That's impressive. This man of God can have those two bears maul you. And even if there's 42 of you, they can maul you. Now, let me ask you after this event, would you... Still want Elisha to come and live in your town? Not if we had bears. So I'm going to ask a question a whole bunch today. Here it is. What would you do if you had access to a man of God like Elisha? Because he's a real person in a real scene in real history. 
And the people of Jericho have encountered him, and so have the smart alecks calling him Baldy. What would you do if you had access to a man of God? Well, let's continue. Word about this man of God, Elisha, got around, and soon kings would call this man of God to receive a word from God. And I don't think they called him Baldy either. War. Kings were now calling after this man of God because he's gotten a name. People now know about him, this man of God. So war is about to break out, and the kings of three nations, Israel, Judah, and Edom, have joined together against the king of Moab. The problem is this. The three kings and their three armies have found themselves in the wilderness of Edom, and there's no water and they're in a mess. And why are they in a mess? Because their, their army is dying of thirst before the battle even begins. There's not enough water to sustain the military campaign. And you and I know it's when you get in such a mess that you what? That's when you cry out to God. When do you cry out to God? When you get in a mess. When would you seek out a man of God to help you cry out to God? When you get in a mess. Well, they're in a mess. So here's the story, verse 10. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out, The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? Is there no man of God here that we could inquire to? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, knows about Elisha. The Lord speaks through him. So the kings of Israel, there's three of them, the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom went to consult with this man of God named Elisha. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. Ooh, this isn't starting well, is it? He looks at the king who has an army about to go to war and they're coming to this man of God for counsel and the counsel begins with, why don't you go to the pagans of your father and mother and ask them? But King Joram of Israel said, no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here only to be defeated by the king of Moab. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you. Ooh, I can see how he calls out bears. I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for one of you, King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now, bring me someone who can play the harp. Now, does that sound like an unusual request in this thing? Now, bring me someone who can play the harp. 
while the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. So he, he doesn't have a word for these kings. He, Elisha, doesn't have a word. He needs to get a word. And he doesn't get a word from himself. He gets a word from the Lord. That's why he's a man of God. So while the harp's being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. It's not what Elisha says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. Now, understand, the whole reason they're talking to Elisha is that they need water. This is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain. Huh? No wind, no rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You'll have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and your other animals. Now, let's do a summary. We've seen a poison spring turned into pure water by this man of God. We've seen bears come and attack a bunch of smart alecks because of this man of God. But this is big. Four armies are gathered in the wilderness of Edom, and Elisha asks for a harp? Why? It'd be good counsel for a lot of us today. Be still and know that I am God. Inquire of the Lord before you decide what you are going to do. Be still and listen. Not emotions, but the word. What did it say? And the spirit came. You know what that means? And God came. God came to reveal himself to a man of God named Elisha. The answer is water. Water from God for these three kings and defeat for Moab. But the answer was specific. It, the wind's not going to blow and it's not going to rain because if the wind blew and rain came, then somebody would say, well, wasn't that lucky. But it's not going to blow and there's not going to be anything from the sky but water's going to come out of the earth. Listen to what this supernatural supply of water does to the Moabites. Now, now, set aside the idea that the armies are dying of thirst in the wilderness. They've got their own problem, but there happens to be an opposing army there as well. And what will happen to the Moabites? Verse 20. The next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. Somebody say hallelujah. Water ah, suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword, and they stationed themselves along their border. But when they got up the next morning, this is such an amazing story. When they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water. What a coincidence. The sun was shining across the water. And by the way, there wasn't any water there yesterday. Now the sun is shining across the water, making it appear red to the Moabites, and it looked like blood. So what do they assume? It looks like blood everywhere. 
It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies must have attacked and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them, and they turned the Moabites and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. So let's summarize again. This man of God can fix poisonous springs. This man of God can order bears around. This man of God can intercede between God and kings in the wilderness of Edom. And this man of God was used by God to determine, listen, this is, this is why I say this is big. This man of God was used by God to determine the kingdoms of men. Who would rule this region in the Middle East? God did it through a man of God named Elisha. From spring water in Jericho to bears to kingdoms of the Middle East. Now, I got to tell you, this is quite a jump from a guy that was plowing with a yoke of oxen and somebody throws a cloak around his neck. He's come a long way. But I've got one more story in this series. This one isn't about kingdoms and it isn't about bears. It's about a woman who has two sons. And to understand this next story, you've got to understand this question. Was Elisha the only prophet in the land? No. God had reserved to himself 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed to foreign gods. Now, I'm not saying all 7,000 of them were prophets. I'm not sure about that. But 7,000 men of God. Okay, 7,000. Now, that takes me back to the time when God told Elijah that Elisha was going to be his replacement. In this scene, the man of God, Elijah, is having a direct encounter with God on the mountain of God. Why? So let me give you some context. We're going to hold in the Elisha story, go back to Elijah, and put the whole thing together. Elijah has been on Mount Carmel, and he has had this, this battle with the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, and, and he called down fire from heaven on the altar, killed the prophets of Baal, has a wonderful experience there where God reveals himself to the people of Israel. You would think he would be on cloud nine, right? He comes off of that scene, and word comes to him, what? Jezebel? The wife of King Ahab, she's going to kill you. He has just whooped 450 prophets of Baal, but when it came to one woman, Jezebel, he wants to die. He wants to die. He gets up under a broom tree and he asks the Lord, let me die. Let me die. I'm done. And God calls him out of that scene to the mountain of God where he has this encounter where he will get his instructions that I want to read to you. Because if you don't get this part, you're not going to get this next miracle with Elisha. Elijah feels afraid. He feels isolated. And here's the big deal. He feels like he's the only 
man of God left. That'd be a lonely feeling. He feels like I'm the only prophet. I'm the only man of God left and they're coming to kill me. That'll leave zero. So here's the story. First Kings 19, 14, Elijah's talking to God. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenants with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive there, listen carefully, listen. Here's where I'm trying to communicate to understand the next story. Go back the way you came, and there's something you're going to do before you're finished. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. So you're going to go, and I'm going to, through you, appoint the next king of Aram. You're not done. And then, when you appoint him, then go to Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. So you're going to appoint another king. You're not done. And after you appoint these two kings, you're going to anoint Elisha. Now here he comes. You're going to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Maholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Haziel, that first king you do, will be killed by Jehu, the second king. And those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will, here it comes, I will preserve 7,000 7, others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah anointed Elisha, and Elijah left the earth in a chariot of fire. Now, in that scene, God has revealed something. You're not done. You're going to anoint two kings and a prophet to replace you as man of God. But there's 7,000. We, we don't know all the details of the 7,000. There's 7,000 others that God has anointed as men of God. One of those 7,000. Are you ready? I don't know. Where he fits exactly, one of those 7,000 in Israel, fast forward to the time of Elisha. Elijah's been taken out in a chariot. One of those 7,000 has died and left a wife with two sons. You got to know who he is to get the story. Elisha will now encounter that wife, that widow, in this final story of Elisha for today. 2 Kings 4, verse 1. One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets. Now, I believe this guy was inside that 7,000 that had never bowed a knee to Baal. One of the widows of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband, a man of God, a prophet, my husband, who served you, Elisha, is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. And then he does something. Before she answers, 
tell me what do you have in the house? What can I do to help you? Wait, wait. What do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. This man of God, Elisha, has purified a poison spring, called out bears, interceded between God and kings, and now asked a widow a very important question that has great relevance to everyone sitting here today, even if you haven't figured it out yet. What is it? What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Can't Elisha just throw out some salt, throw up a prayer, or maybe ask the bears, go eat the creditor. That would fix it, right? This man of God knows something that we must know today. Are you ready? This widow's problem and our problem have nothing to do with what we don't have. This widow's problem and our problem has nothing to do with what we don't have. This is a life-changing point. Why would this man of God say, what do you have in your house? He's trying to convince her and to teach us today through the word, don't focus on what you don't have. So many people spend so much of their life focusing on what they don't have that they miss what you do have because it is what you do have already that will be what you need. What you need, Elisha is about to show her and about to show us, what you need is already within your reach. This is not a name it and claim it sermon. This is not some prosperity gospel message. This is faith in your loving father to provide for his children. That's what this is. It's my experience that most people today, right now today, are dying from thirst six inches from fresh water. You're dying from thirst six inches from fresh water. It's right here. It's in your house. It's within your reach. It is right in front of you, but you're still thirsty. And Elisha asked the question, what do you have in your house? So let's pause with the widow's story for a moment because I need to go back and lay some biblical foundation that applies to all of Israel and it applies to you and I as well because it's God's Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, God outlines this foundation about it's already in front of you. It's not hiding. What you need is already here. You just have to be able to take hold of it by faith. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. And it's not beyond your reach. It's not too difficult to understand. It is not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven. So distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey? It's not beyond the sea. It's not too difficult. It's not outside your reach. It's not in heaven. It's not out uh, beyond the sea so far that you must ask, who will cross the sea and bring it to us so we can hear it and obey it? No, 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 no. It's none of these things that you can't reach. You ready? The message is very close. The message is very close at hand. And it's on your lips and it's in your heart so that you can obey it. 
So back to the widow lady. That's foundation. That, that's foundational truth from God to the children of Israel. That widow lady was asked, what do you have in your house? She had a flask of olive oil within her reach. And I want you to listen to what the man of God told her to do. Verse 3. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Now, now just stop. You're the widow lady. Put yourself in the story and you think, what is it going to do to have empty jars? You think I'm going to get out of this mess with empty jars from the neighbors? But what does she just, it's within your reach. What do you have? Well, I have just a little bit of olive oil. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Just do it. Just do it. The message is close to you. Just follow. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask, that little bit you've got, into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told, and her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another, soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar. I bet at this time she's thinking this was a good idea. <laughs> Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stumped flowing. And when she told the man of God, notice how he's referred to man of God. And when she told the man of God, Elisha, what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil. Anybody see it? Everything in the Old Testament reveals Jesus. That's right. Amen. Do, you, do you see it? I hope you will before you leave. Sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left over. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you like to have a man of God like that come to your house? You know how expensive olive oil is? It paid off her debts. Would you like somebody to come to your house, pay off your debts, and give you enough to live on and now and into the future? That's what he just did. This man of God created an environment that would pay off her debts and give her enough to live on and her family now and into the future, broke the bondage of her slavery. The creditor was coming to take her two sons as slaves. So let me ask you a question. Everybody, this is personal. What would you do today if you had access today to a man of God like that? What would you do? Have I got some good news for you? There is one greater than Elisha. And he is within your reach right now. Right now, today, this moment. What would you do if you had access to such a man of God today? Greater than Elisha. Now here's what's so important. Elisha is called a man of God. And you see the impact this man of God is having in these stories. 
What would you do? That means, you know what? That means nothing if it's just some history story. What would you do today if you had access to a man of God? Not, not a man of God, Elisha. No, someone so much greater than Elisha. Someone that Elisha was inquiring to when he would ask, what do I do? What if you could have access to him? So let's leave the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament church age. Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse. Listen carefully. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Elisha, Elijah, Moses, right? Long ago, God communicated to the world through the prophets, like this man of God, Elisha. And now in these final days, church, listen. But now, in these last days, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us of our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows, listen church, this shows Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father. This shows what? That the Son is far greater than the angels. Just as his name that God gave him is greater than their names. Today I proclaim to you there is one far greater than Elisha. And he is within your reach. That man of God that Hebrews is talking about is Jesus. And he is much greater than Elijah, Elisha, or any of the angels. He is the name above all names. There is no other name under heaven whereby people can be saved. Elisha, he made bad water fresh with salt. Jesus is living water that springs up into eternal life and turns people's lives into the salt of the earth. Elisha had authority over bears. Jesus has been given all authority and dominion over heaven, earth, under the earth. It's all his. And by the way, he is the only one who can crush the serpent's head. And that serpent is death. Elisha, the man of God, interceded between kings and God the Father. Jesus' body was the veil that was torn to allow us access to the very throne of God itself. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the coming kingdom that will reign supreme on this earth and in heaven. Elisha was the man of God, and he provided a way for to pay off this lady's debt and provide them with enough to live. God, through Elisha, revealed a way, a way for this lady to no longer be in debt, to have the debt paid, and to be able to live with freedom. Can you see a spiritual picture? Jesus, the man of God, he is the oil that paid off our sin debt, giving us eternal life. He is the oil in your lamp, your body, that keeps you alive and makes peace with God as the bridegroom 
comes for his bride, the church, at the end of the last days. Jesus tells this story about the parable of the ten virgins. And do you think it's a coincidence that in the parable, what they had when the bridegroom came that mattered was olive oil? Olive oil, not just a little bit, but enough to last until the bridegroom arrives. Why? In that parable, no one would go through that door into the wedding feast without the oil. So, do you see the connection between the story of Elisha and one who is far greater than Elisha who comes? Jesus, this man of God, this son of God, came for a specific purpose, to pay off your debt and then offered you eternal life, forever life. What was the widow lady's trouble? What was her trouble? She had a debt she couldn't pay. What is your trouble? Same thing. I have a debt I cannot pay. I have a sin debt I cannot pay off. This woman, this story, this man of God is a picture. It's real. I'm not making light of the story. It is a picture of the reality of Christ himself. She had a debt she could not pay, and that brought bondage and slavery to her family. She sought out a man of God. The man of God gave her the ability to cancel the debt. She could not cancel on her own, and now she has freedom and no bondage. And what is that bondage? What is the debt? What will it bring us? Maybe you say today, I don't have a creditor hanging around my house because I can't pay off this sin debt or debt. Yeah, you do. We all do. We all do. You know what it is? It's called death. I like to refer to it as the grave. And the grave is where you cash out. And the grave is that power that if your sin debt has not been paid off, the grave is the creditor that will take the payment. And I want to tell you, listen carefully, because I word this carefully. If you go to your last day and you still don't have the sin debt paid off, the grave will take hold of you and it will never let you out. Never. It's called hell. It is the grave. It's what's beyond the grave. It is... It never lets go. The grave will take hold and never let you go without the oil of Jesus' presence. What pays off my sin debt? There's this oil in the story. What is the oil? So what did they use oil for in the... Why was it so valuable? It was light. It was the source of light. In the parable of the virgins, what is the oil used? It is the light in the lamp comes from the oil. The light must be burning when the bridegroom comes. So let's let Jesus explain the oil and the lamp and the debt and the payment. In John 5, 24, Jesus puts it this way. I'll tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message, here we go, I'm going to hold it up. 
those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. They will never be condemned for their sins, for they have already passed from death to life. Your debt's paid. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Now, first, Jesus is going to do. He's going to paint two pictures of those who will hear the Word of God. It's near. It's right up close. You can hear it. It's within your reach. The first group are the spiritual dead. The second group are the dead in the grave dead. So let's look at the first group, the spiritually dead. He says, I assure you, verse 25, that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. It's here now, right now, today. When the dead, the spiritually dead, they, they have not had their sin debt paid off. They don't know about the message, the gospel. They don't have the oil of Christ in their lives. When the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. Those who listen will live. It's not in heaven where you can't reach it. It's not over the sea where you can't get enough of a boat to go find it. It's right here. Those who listen will live. The spiritual are dead. The Father, what, what does he mean? The Father has life in himself. And he, the Father, has granted the same life-giving power to his Son. So if his Son is the Word and the Word is in you, then life is in you. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he's the son of God. So here comes the second group. So don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming. This is a future event for us. The time is coming when all the dead in their graves, we're not talking about spiritually dead anymore. We're talking about dead and buried. When all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So let me ask you a question. What would you do today? Today, if you had access to a man of God? No, 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 no. Let me take it up a notch. What would you do today if you personally had access to the Son of God? He's right in front of you. What would you do? Within your reach. I can't help but think about the town of Jericho. When their poison water became fresh and pure by the man of God, Elisha. His presence transformed that entire town the man of God. I can't help but think about those three kings when water started gushing out of the ground in the middle of the wilderness of Edom, all because a man of God named Elisha showed up. He transformed everyone in that army and in that region, a man of God. I can't help but think about the grieving widow and her sons, the look on their faces when, it, when they kept pouring olive oil out of the small flask all because they had encountered a man of God named Elisha. How overwhelmed would they be at the fact that this burden of debt has been forgiven, paid off, and my children are free.
I can't help but think about the picture of those 42 guys running from that bear after they said baldy either. And here's why I bring that up. Those 42 young people shouted degrading slurs to the man of God. We kind of make light of the mauling. You, you wouldn't if it was one of your kids. They shouted degrading slurs at this man of God, and Elisha responded. Listen carefully. It's important. Elisha responded by shouting a curse in the name of the Lord in return. This man of God, Elisha, called down a curse on them, and the bear came and mauled them. I told you there is one greater than Elisha that has come. There's another man of God that could have shouted down a curse upon everyone who in their life had degraded his name. There is one greater than Elisha who could have cursed every one of us in this room today. He could have, and he would have been justified in doing so. But instead of calling down a curse upon me, upon you, upon us, Listen to this shout, and I notice the key word in here is shout of Jesus. Listen carefully. It's not the curse. No, he could have. John 12, 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light. There's the oil. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world, not to judge it, but, but, I came to save you, not judge you, but. All who reject me and my message. I'm going to do this. I'm doing this literally on purpose. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. So one more time, more time. What would you do if you had access to this man of God? What would you do if you had access to this son of God? He is so much more than Elisha. And today he gives you access to him. Jesus calls us to come to him to call upon him, to put our trust in him because it is his great desire to come and to pay off your debt, the debt you can't pay, to break the bondage, the slavery of sin, to set you free, your children free, your family, your future generations free. What would you do? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you, the burden is light. So let me ask some closing questions. And I'd like for you to answer maybe with your hand. Is anyone here weary today? Come to me, all you who are weary. I'm weary. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not. I am. I'm weary. You know why I'm weary? I'm looking at a world that is lost and spiraling out of control into the darkness. It makes me weary. I'm looking at that world. I'm looking at that world. And I know that right in front of us, people are, people are dry, dying of they're dying of thirst with fresh water right in front of them. And they can't see it. Is anyone carrying heavy burdens today? Anybody carrying a sin debt today? I'm going to ask you a question. Why would you carry that sin debt one more day? When someone today, right now, today, right now, today in this moment, said, I'll pay off your debt and set you free. And you know what? Quite frankly, there will be people sitting in this room today that will walk out that door still in debt when he offered to set you free and pay it off today. It's within your reach. It's not at beyond heaven. It's not across the sea. It's right here. It's within your reach. Does anyone want rest today? I do. Rest for your soul. So what would you do if you had access to this man of God named Jesus? This son of God who says simply, come to me. Come. Come to me. Who would turn this down? I smile when I say that because there is an answer. Who would turn this down? The idea that someone that you could access a man of God, the son of God, me, little me from Bertie, I could access the son of God and he will come into my life, pay off my debt, give me eternal life, make a place for me in the father's house. Who would turn this down? One answer, only one, only one. You don't believe it. That's why in the New Testament, the most common phrase for the church are called believers. And hell will be populated with unbelievers. You don't believe it. And it was always within your reach. Remember what Elisha asked the woman? What's in your house? Quit worrying about what you don't have. What you do have is access to the Son of God. Paying off your debt. Giving your life eternal. Many will die from thirst six inches from breast water. And I today, one more time, I tell you, it's within your reach. I'm going to close with that scripture, foundation scripture from God to the Jewish people. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. This, this is also for the church. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. It is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask. Who will go up to heaven and bring it down so that we can hear it and obey it? It is not kept beyond the sea so far that you must ask. Who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey it? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips. It is in your heart so that you can obey it. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. What do you have in your house? That's what Elisha asked the woman. What do you have in your house? Well, I've got a little bit of oil. That's all you need. 
Do you have a little bit of oil? Do, do you have a little bit of oil? It's endless when the man of God comes into your life. It's endless. The light will never go out. There's never darkness when the light never goes out. So today we're going to sing a song. And the song, there's two things I want to challenge you with as we sing. Number one, if you have sin debt today uncovered by the blood of Christ, you need to come today and let it go. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. That's his word. So today, if you have come in here with a sin debt that you have in your life, there's sin in your life, and you know the Holy Spirit's convicting you of that sin right now. And you know today you need to leave that sin here and put it under the blood of Christ. You need to confess and repent of that sin. Repent of it. So that when you walk out of here today, it's gone. You don't take it back with you. Today, I challenge, if that's you, and you carry that outside of here today, after the Lord offered to pay it off today, it's on you. It's not on Him. The second one is this. There are people, more than likely in this room, that that oil is not in your lamp. That you have never received Christ. Not really. Not really. You know about Him, but you don't know Him. Today, He invites you. He's within your reach. You'll have to die to yourself, take up a cross to follow him. But when you do that by faith, he will fill you to overflow. You'll never be thirsty again. But only if you believe that would you do that. So we're going to sing this song. I'm going to pray. Father, may your Holy Spirit do your work today. Your word has been proclaimed. The Son of Man has been lifted up. Everything else is on you. In Jesus' name, and amen. Let's stand.